0: a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers, so you can experience your own sales transformation. Hey, before we start today's episode, I wanted to bring you in on the best-kept secret in B2B sales. If you're serious about social selling and your only strategy is cold DMs through LinkedIn, you're missing the mark big time. Learn how a fully managed revenue generating podcast can change your life and your pipeline at salescast.co. All right. Welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. I have got Nate Narsala on today. He is the founder over at Fluent.io. Nate is also a three-time sales leader and repeat startup founder. He's currently building Fluent to help B2B sales teams stop losing deals when they're not in the room by creating creating and selling with champions. Nate, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Colin. Good to be here. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm looking forward been looking forward to having you on. I know you went on Chris's show. Uh, you've been fairly active in the in the sales cast community and teed up some some very interesting topics for us to talk about today.
1: Yeah, man. I'm uh, I'm excited to dig in and you've built a pretty incredible community. So thanks for letting me be part. Oh yeah, no problem. We love people like yourself that get in there
0: and get active. So um be f- just take us back here a little bit, give us Nate's sales story.
1: Yeah. So my, my sales story, I, I'm a builder and what I learned about myself lately is that like, I love learning new things. Like that's what I crave is trying to figure out something new for the first time. And so I kind of got into sales by creating, building things. And I realized pretty quickly in my first startup experience, like if I want to continue building products, you have to sell them and generate revenue because that's what keeps a company going. But in so many ways, what I was doing by way of like user research, trying to figure out how to build products was at the end of the day, sales, it's like figuring out what's a big problem that somebody's facing, what matters to them, and how can you help them get that like that at the end of the day is sales. And so when I started to discover there was this whole science and art behind sales that I could learn and kind of pick up along the way, I just I fell in love with sales. And um, ever since I've been uh, not only building products, but building sales teams and selling myself. Um, so that's, uh, that's kind of the quick backstory and kind of along that route I started noticing some problems myself, which is where Fluent, uh, the inspiration for Fluent came from this time around.
0: Mm, okay. So when you started building sales teams, mm-hmm. what were some of the
1: challenges that you were seeing? So one of the big challenges was that we would spend so much time coaching, training, ramping reps, all about how to message our product. And they got really good at it, but what we started to notice is like, man, it's not during a sales meeting where the buying decisions are happening. It's during the internal meetings where the buyer or one person on the buying team, the champion is going back and they're actually pitching our product in their own words. And we have no idea what they're saying. They're getting all kinds of objections, questions, you know, our AEs may be pro objection handlers, but the question is like, when they're not around. And there are questions or skepticism that's coming up in the buying team. Like, how do we help control that message? So we would lose deals when we wouldn't have a say in it. And like, you know, that's, that's tough. So that was one of the, um, I guess, consistent and recurring, uh, issues that just killed deals.
0: And I mean, this is a problem that's been going on for a long time. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, usually, I mean, how many people are typically involved in the buying process these days?
1: So that it's a good question because it's a, it's a good reframe to what I'll call like the complex sale. A lot of people, you know, over time they're trying to do larger deals, move up market and so on. And the right thing to kind of ask is like how many people are involved defining a complex sale, not just like the size of the contract. So for me, the biggest thing is anytime you're getting into three or more people typically the people that are able to weigh in sign off on a contract aren't going to be in every meeting which means there are other meetings happening when the sales rep isn't in the room so three or more typically that's where you get into this like complex sale territory and yeah. again, I'm just kind of, um, I like the question and I'm jamming on this for a minute because a lot of people begin to think of like, oh, I need to be doing a six-figure deal or something for it to be like a quote, complex sale. Yeah, unnecessarily. But man, you just, whenever com- you start the getting- The sale is more
0: complex than you
1: think that's, Yeah, <laughs> in that's, a lot of cases. That's right. Because I mean, there's so many different opinions flying around. People yep. with different sets of priorities, you know, they're measured on different things that all come in to affect the outcome of the deal. And right. a lot of stuff, you know, is that that's all hidden from the sales reps view many times. And and in a lot of cases,
0: you know, in order to implement your solution, that means taking budget from something else, right? That was already allocated towards something else. So it's killing somebody else's idea Mm -hmm. to roll out your idea. So imagine what those meetings look like. Oh
1: yeah. I mean, it, especially let's say, you know, I, so let's, let's say we're in the CROs org. And I am kind of VP of customer success. Who's thinking about uh, net revenue retention. Like how do I upsell and expand account value? And then the head of sales comes in and says, Hey, you know, we, it's all about landing new logos. That's going to drive the largest revenue growth. And I'm competing for a small slice of the CRO's attention in budget. And so a competitor, let's say I, you know, sell some type of like sales engagement, um, system, and I'm trying to sell into the head of sales organization The competitor may be something totally unrelated on the success side of the house. It's an alternative priority or an alternative project. So I I love where you're going with this because it's a good, I think, wider framing of what competition in the sales process usually is. It's not like another vendor in your space many times. It's alternatives that come into play in an entire organization.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think people get caught up thinking, oh, I'm just competing against the other people in my space. And yes, that could be true, but you're also competing against, one, them doing nothing.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: apps, like just status quo, right? Um, or you're competing against something else that is a priority that the budget will go towards. Um, so that's why to really be a strategic seller, you've got to think about, well, I need to know all of the priorities that relate to my product and don't. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to start to understand where you are in line with priority, uh, based on, you know, if they're trying to solve a much bigger problem, you're never going to win. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, one, one practice that I've gone deep into over my career that's been super helpful with this is creating problem statements. And usually what I found going back to kind of this topic of how do you create and then enable a champion to sell with you, they're competing against all this other stuff internally and Usually the most effective way to cut through all of that is like a really clear and good sharp problem statement, which is like, hey, here here is what is actively costing us over what amount of time and the consequence or the so what behind it. Mm -hmm. And most, you'd be surprised, but like most even buyers in a deal haven't really thought very deeply about the right way to frame a problem when talking with their team internally. And so they're, they're not really using language that is grabbing and holding people's attention to get them involved in the deal. And so I, I, I'm i happy to go deeper if this is interesting, kind of like a formula for crafting problem statements. Yeah. But typically I find break, like... Let's, let's break it down. Okay, cool. So he, there are two kind of parts in it that I think about. The first is costs. And then the second is consequences. Yeah. So in, in thinking about costs, there's frequency, reach, and then pain. So... For example, like if, um, so if you're in the uh, marketing space, like you, or let's do customer success, let's say, um, you know, you're selling Gainsight. And, you know, the problem is customers are at risk of churn. We don't really know who they are. You know, so you could say, okay, well, how many customers are up for renewal? Let's say there's like 5,000. Um, annual renewal is the frequency. And right now, kind of the severity of the problem is we're doing like 80% retention. We need to be doing 90%. So you can say, Okay you know the difference there that's roughly 500 customers and let's say they're you know at a 10k contract value so you're up at up against a potential cost of 5 million dollars so 5 million dollars is at risk that's your cost now the consequence is like okay so what you know what does this mean if it's not addressed by this time yeah. well it might mean like hey we're going out to raise some growth capital series b and the number one metric that investors are going to press into is lifetime value. Churn is a big contributor to that. So if we don't curb churn or increase our retention rate by let's call it like Q3, then we're just going to get hammered in an already tight market. You know, you go on LinkedIn right now, you're seeing a lot of chatter and conversation about how capital markets are constricting. And so like the big consequence that's going to like grab attention first is like, hey, we may not be able to raise capital on the back of, metrics that are looking a little, you know, not great. And And the runway
0: is looking kind of short right now.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Like that is, that consequence is way more significant than saying like, oh, our CSMs are spending too much time trying to match up data in different systems to identify account activity.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so how do you, so, so what is the, what is the formula for what what is a seller supposed to do Mm -hmm. to understand at a deeper level problems that they're trying to solve or formulating these problem statements Mm -hmm. around things that have nothing to do with their product?
1: Yeah. So you can, you can use some type of phrase in lead from insight from other customers. So for example, you know, often when I'm meeting with customer success teams, I find that, and then you could insert something like, um, The uh, chief customer officer, CRO, is very interested for reasons like net revenue retention. It's typically like an organization-wide goal. I'm curious to what extent your team is talking about this now. Or are there other things that you're hearing coming up, you know, maybe in your recurring team meeting that is a big priority for you right now? And so you can share some insight, maybe share some examples, see what they're kind of reflecting on. But the goal is to be able to basically write out if you were to listen into an all-hands meeting. And so at the highest level, you're hearing from leadership, like what those key priorities are, you should be able to write out exactly what the agenda is in that meeting. What are they talking about? And that's how you know that you've gone deep enough in discovery or wide enough in discovery to try to figure out, okay, how do I connect my product to a problem or a priority that is big enough to actually be worth doing something about?
0: And so let's say you do this, you, you, do, you do a prop, you go wide in your discovery Mm -hmm. and you uncover the, you know, all hands agenda Mm -hmm. and you realize that you on the priority list are pretty low in comparison to these other things. Mm -hmm.
1: Now what? I mean, one, it could just be not the right timing or not the right fit for you. Yeah. And if you can recognize that early, that's actually a great outcome. You know, it's helpful for you. It's helpful for the buyer. It's helpful for the account. But you should be able to, at the same time, articulate, hey, when this moves up the priority list, let me know. And I'd love to catch right. up and reconnect. So that's that's one possible outcome. The second is that you're not talking to the right person. They just don't know. And if you are, you have kind of like that spidey sense tingling. Let's say you're talking to an associate or a manager and you're like, but I, but I was just reading in the recent 10K or earnings call or whatever it is. I was hearing that, you know, there's some other issues, priorities that are going on. It may be time to try to figure out who else you can engage in the conversation to figure out, okay, maybe I just need kind of a wider, different perspective um, in the organization. Or point number three, um, you can help create and raise the level of that priority. So this is the last outcome. You know, if you are finding and you have a particular point of view or an insight from working with other customers to say, look, if you're not addressing this now, it's going to become a very big issue. Here, here's an example. Um, earlier this week, I was meeting with, um, so yesterday I was meeting with the sales team at Parametrics Insurance. And they're this brand new type of insurance that helps teams in the event of some type of infrastructure outage. AWS goes down and you have all of these different issues, customer complaints and things like that. And nobody really thinks that that's a priority. They're like, oh, this isn't going to happen to us. But in their case, like it ha- in, um, happened to Robinhood, they relied on some infrastructure that went down, tons of trades were missed, millions of dollars of claims. And it's like, oh, crap, that's a priority. And so what the parametric sales team is very good at doing is taking something that is not a priority and helping through their messaging and crafting good problem statements raise that up internally when it didn't exist before. So those are kind of three potential yeah. scenarios.
0: Well, the, the the thing I love there in that example
1: specifically
0: with you know Robin Hood, right? Like pretty much, I would say most everybody knows who Robin Hood is, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you can use stories yes. like that, right? not some marketing speak case study, like, Hey, we took this company and made them 10 times more efficient and, you know, drove this much, you know, 300% ROI. And and like, not that, but like Mm -hmm. really crafting a story that connects with the buyer or your champion uh, making them the hero, not mm-hmm. you, the company. This is where a lot of people make a lot of mistakes, where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, we're so great. We have all these logos. We've done all these things for people, pounding on their chests.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, but if you can do it in a way where you can make your solution become more of a priority mm-hmm. by leveraging a story, making your customer the hero in that story, then your solution starts to become like more of a priority in some of those situations. And sometimes it still might not be, but at least, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'd rather know early than later, because a lot of times your prospects don't want to hurt your feelings and they don't Mm want to tell you, Hey, sorry, Nate, you know, these other things are way more important than what you're presenting to us right now.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, that's a, a great point at the end there on like creating space for just real talk the more you are finding your buyers being totally candid with you the mo- it's only going to be helpful for the deal but on your point on like creating heroes the most fun stories through my career have been seeing the champions that I'm working with in a deal get promoted after the deal is done and usually it's because they went through the hard work of figuring out how to craft internal narratives around certain problems that weren't being addressed and people are like oh my gosh Nice. Like we do need to do something about it. You led the charge. You did it very effectively. You know, that needs to be elevated um, and recognized in the organization. And so, man, if, if, if you as a seller are finding a track record of like internal promotions of the buyers that you're working with, like you're, you're doing something right. You're setting them up for stories of being the hero, like you say
0: yeah absolutely um all right so let's let's kind of hone in onto this topic that I know you enjoy talking about, right? Mm-hmm. How do you not get stuck in this just following up, checking in <sighs> you know hamster wheel that so many sellers have experienced time and time again, even knowing that it's a bad place to be, scratching your head, wondering how the heck did I get here again,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so it's a very nice tie-in because oftentimes one of the first reasons is that like you didn't tap into or find a problem that's worthwhile. It's worth solving because it's big enough of a priority, not only for the first person that you were talking with, but for them to get others involved. So oftentimes, like if there's no update, a buyer can't move anything forward internally because they're not talking about something in a meaningful way. It's going to be very hard for them to come back to you with any type of forward progress. So one, like deep, curious discovery to set up a problem of high priority. Like if you don't have that, um, you're just starting off in the hole, setting yourself up for some checking in emails that just don't get answered. But from there, I often find that a lot of sales reps are under the impression of one, well, they must have forgot. Therefore, let me just quote, bump this up. They they need one more reminder. Uh, so So let me just do that. Or two, I don't need to actually invest a lot of time and creativity into my follow-up. It's just the consistency or the volume of follow-up that's going to get a reply, both of which are just totally off base. So I'll kind of go into some thoughts on like how to replace that, but that's typically where it stems from. Like that's the root of this whole, I'm getting ghosted, just checking in issue.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, so what's, I mean, what's the alternative, right? I mean, you've got to, you, you have to follow up. Mm-hmm. But how do you follow up in a meaningful way that grabs the attention
1: mm-hmm.
0: and triggers a response?
1: So there, so there's a couple different um, groups. So first, let's go with just like a framework for writing a really good follow up email. Like, what yeah. do you need to be thinking through? Like, kind of a men- call it a mental checklist as you're writing sure. an email. So first thing that I would ask myself is, am I introducing new information? Like, am I just kind of rehashing what I've already said or introducing a, a new view? That's a big one.
0: <laughs> that's a it big is. one. So many, yeah. that's the one where most,
1: most people fail, right? There's mm-hmm. just like, there's no reason to be following up. Right. Well, and, and it's a big one too, because you want to like introduce this expectation or impression of like, every time I talk to Colin or every time I hear from him, I learn something. I learned something new. And so there's like this, call it delight, this anticipation of I can't wait to open Colin's email because I find something new that's waiting for me. So that's the first one. The second one that I would um, think about is like, what is immediately on the to-do list or the priority list for this prospect? And if you like go back to this kind of exercise of like trying to write out, like if you were to write out their to-do list for today, like what would it say on there? And the issue is that oftentimes... Follow-up is all tied up in delivering value at like the point of purchase. So after you're a customer and you're paying for our product, then you're getting value. But there's always some type of way that you can help the buyer get their job done today without a purchase. So how are you connecting your message back to something that they can do today? I'll make time for something that will help me with what I've already set out to do. Um, so it address the immediate kind of is the basic idea, which relates to like, how are you leaving them? Better off, And I'll, I'll give you an example of this. So the first company that I, I built was in the fundraising space for nonprofits, help them raise money, support their mission. And so we would um, give them software to help them with that. One of the things that we did is made a better donation page experience. And so what I would do is I would make a $10 gift on their current donation process, I'd get the receipt, go through the experience, and I'd forward it to them and say, Hey, I have a couple ideas for things that you could be doing right now to improve your conversion, get larger donation sizes. Here's like three ideas. Happy to do a quick call and give you some extra thoughts. And people loved it. They were like, oh, great. Like I could be generating more donations today. My job is to raise money. This is great.
0: Yeah. 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 Very creative. And I mean, pulling on the the emotional strings there with just making the donation, not not even that it has to be a lot, but also just taking uh, the initiative to you know, sort of look at, you know, what it is, it, what the job that needs to be done is getting mm-hmm. donations. Right. And what does the process look for, look like for people making the donations and then tying that in to solving what, you know, is the most important thing to them. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant.
1: Yeah. Right on. Um, and it's fun. Like it's actually fun to sell this way, you know? So I'll, um, I'll kind of switch gears and say, if you're now in a scenario where the deal isn't moving forward because it's not the person that you were talking with that you need to follow up with. Let's say you need to get a key employee, a VP, somebody else engaged in the deal. Then what you need to do is write a forwardable email. So your follow-up has to be written to the contact, but written for somebody else. So if you were, let's go back to this, like um, Gainsight chief customer officer type example. Yep. I may be writing to a CSM or a customer success manager but I'm framing my message around, hey, I know you guys are preparing for a fun race. Churn um, is up. Retention is down. We came up with some thoughts on what we can do. I imagine, let's say, Colin, you're the chief customer officer. I imagine Colin will have some thoughts. He wants to weigh in. Think he'd be up to weigh in on our draft. You share this in a way that the CSM just has to hit forward. Say, hey, Colin, take a look. And Colin knowing that he's on the hook for these metrics will be like, well, if you're coming up with a plan for this, of course, you know, I want to make my opinion heard and weigh in. And so this is the idea of the affordable email. You are writing with language that the end person is going to respond to and relate to not just the person in the to field of your email.
0: Wow. I love that. I'll be honest. That's the first time I ever heard that. Hmm. Um, and, and I think that's such a valuable tip right there is Think about who the person you're writing to, your champion, uh, think about who they need to share that email with and mm-hmm. write it in, a, in, in the way that the person they're going to need to forward it to or share it with is gonna, it's that it's going to resonate with them most. Right? Exactly. And uh, because I think a lot of times people send these emails where it might have some important things, but then it's also stuff that's not necessarily going to be as relevant to the people they need to share with. So basically you're asking them to take that, rewrite it, send it. Um, and a lot of times it doesn't get done. Maybe they talk about, maybe they intend on talking about it in the next meeting. Maybe they do, but they only remember bits and pieces of it. Like there's
1: just so many things that could go wrong when you're not Thinking about it that way. Mm-hmm, exactly. And you, I mean, you just made a good point. If you're not doing this, then you are asking your buyer to do that work for you. And so it's about removing as much friction. And where kind of this came from is so on the kind of f- founder side of the house, when you're going out to raise money, raise venture, you're trying to get introductions, warm introductions to different investors. So there's a practice yeah. of ghost writing the email that you want one investor to send to the other and say, hey, you know, there's this guy Nate, he came up with this crazy idea. You should meet with him. If if I want that introduction to actually be made and sent out, I have to do the writing. It's on me, not the investor.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: I love it. I love it. All right. So,
0: um now we've covered a lot. There's a ton here that people can can learn from. Um any
1: final thoughts before we sort of wrap things up here? Yeah. What I would say is everybody likes the shortcuts, like the quick hacks and things, right? (laughs) Uh, The fast pass, right? Exactly. The fast pass. I just want to get on the ride and skip the line. And what I found is the amount of time and creativity that you invest into a follow-up is directly proportional to the response rate. The more creativity, the higher the response rate. And so like, I'll give you just like one more example of this. One activity that I started doing for certain deals that um, took a lot of time. Very high payoff was I would write a press release dated in the future in their own brand, calling out some type of major headline that we could enable and that they really cared about. So back to this, well, let's keep going on the customer officer theme. It may be, you know, um, $100 million Series B breaks record on the back of, you know, retention yeah. rate. And then I just kind of write out and, you know, have some fun with it. It'll take me an hour but I'll draft it. I'll, I'll grab it. Um, I'll go to their media and press page on their website, grab an example, skin that brand, create it and send it to them and be like, yo, can you imagine a day like this? Let's <laughs> talk about that. And it gets them fired up. Yeah. Like they, you know, they, they don't see that every day, but it's something that they're marching toward. And again, I'm not promising that this is easy. I'm just promising that it's worth it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that um, it might take some practice, right? So mm-hmm. when you, if you're not accustomed to working more on quality versus mm-hmm. quantity you know, with your prospecting or outbound efforts, uh, you're not going to be great at it at first. And that's okay, but that's good. You need to lean into that. You need to you know, do more of that type of work in order to improve the skill. And don't get frustrated. Right, if you spend a bunch of time and it doesn't even get a response, because that's going to happen, right? Yeah. But more t- t- more often than not, it will be worth it. Uh, but don't give up before you start to see some of those results.
1: I, that I love the word that you used in there, skill, because it's not it's not just a I don't know call it a, a practice or a tactic. It's a skill that you develop, and so you'll sharpen it over time. You'll find certain things that work. It becomes faster and faster, more effective over time. So I like it. It's, it's skill building.
0: And the more you do it, you'll start to have this sort of level of awareness where you will be like, you'll look for those opportunities to, you know, craft those types of messages or outreach or ways to catch people's attention. So as you're, you know, sort of have this level of awareness of wanting to do more work like this, you'll start to look for those opportunities and find them.
1: Mm hmm. That's right on. And you'll figure out how to match different types of follow up activities to different buyers. As you know, every, everybody's a little different. Um, so if your follow up all looks the same, to very different people, great opportunity to step back and say, okay, how can I match something for this account a little bit more personally?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Nate, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, where can f- people connect with you find out more about what you're working on?
1: Yeah. Well, if you want to connect with me personally, LinkedIn is the best place. Um, Nate Nasralla on LinkedIn. And if you want to connect with the company um, that I'm building, follow along with our, our progress. You can go to fluent, F-L-U-I-N-T dot I-O. Um, so fluent.io is the company. Nate Nasralla on LinkedIn.
0: All right, we'll drop the links there in the show notes for everybody. If you enjoyed today's episode, please write us a review, share the show with your friends. It really does help us out. And then I'm also listening for your feedback. You can go to salestransformation.fm, drop me a voice DM, and we will get back to you. Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free. Salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad, and I might even give you free access to our best templates.